Well, I know that God has given me an amazing word this morning, an amazing word for each and every one of you. So let me pray over the word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of everyone here. I pray that you would open the minds of everyone here. And I just pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit in this morning. Guide me as I preach and open all of our hearts to your word. In the end, the word that we receive is always a matter of your Holy Spirit speaking to us. And I pray for that. Amen. Have you ever seen those, uh, yay big and about yay wide, they're these New Testament Bibles. And typically you give them out whenever someone has newly given their lives to the Lord. I remember at the at the previous church, we had a big stack of them. Whenever someone would come and, you know, they would give their lives to God, and you would, you would give them this Bible. And if you've ever wondered, okay, so why don't we give them like a, a mini version, a half Bible, right? I mean, I mean, the Gideons do it right. They, they go into the hotels and they give them the full Bible. Well, the reason for that is actually kind of funny. I remember when I was in a, I was in a youth camp, right? And so we had all the people in the youth camp come and gather together, and they would all sit around. And someone in the youth camp just turned to us and said, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I, ju- I just don't think I can. And we're like, oh, what's going on? And he said, well, I, I gave my life to the Lord. And so I started in the Bible, and I started with uh, Genesis, and I'm right about Leviticus and Numbers. And if I have to hear one more genealogy of whose son is what, for which tribe, I am going to go nuts. I am dying of boredom here. So the youth pastor immediately said, oh, no, 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 no. Matthew, start with Matthew. Go, go and do that part later. And as important as that is, I feel that sometimes it's all too easy for us to keep that mindset, to keep that New Testament mindset that, you know what, the Old Testament is for reference. If we ever want to find out exactly how many genealogies so we can argue with people about creationism and, and all that, well, then we go to, then you then use the Old Testament. That's what it's for. But I feel it's such a, a waste to think that way. And I think that sometimes... If you were to go into the world today, that's the, that's the purview of that Old Testament. That's, that's what people's opinion of that is, that you have the Old Testament, and that's kind of where all the judgment lies. And then you have the New Testament, and that's where all the mercy is. But the Old Testament is where we see the nature of God. It's where we see the mystery of God. It's where his names are revealed. His nature is revealed to us. His love is revealed to us. It's not just an Old Testament. It's a living testament which is how I'm going to refer to it for the rest of this sermon. It's a living testament that's alive today, and knowing this living testament, I believe, will help you, will guide you, and will really encourage you throughout your week in order to go and live for God. So what I would like to speak this morning is on the living testament. And Jesus actually discusses this on his Sermon on the Mount, one of the first sermons that he actually preaches on his mission. It's uh, in the book of Matthew, and... He is the Messiah. And many people were wondering, oh, is he the Messiah? Is he going to be the one to save us? And actually, they were thinking probably something very similar uh, to what I just said. People were thinking, now they thought, okay, the Messiah is going to come, and then all the old law will be done away with, right? It's going to be abolished, and he'll give us, you know, a better version. Because clearly, it hasn't worked up up till now. Israel was not known for law followers all that great. And so... In Matthew chapter 5, one of the first things he says, and one of the first sermons he's ever says, directly goes to the point of this. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law 
until everything is accomplished. It says later on in chapter 13 that every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom is like the owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom new treasures as well as old. And you see this important place on this living testament that it's not just about a law that must be followed. That It's about more than that. It's not something that was there for the past and then is no longer alive today. It's here now. It's alive now. And it's not just about law either. As you see him go on, he says, you know what? You've heard about the laws. We hear about the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. But he goes on and says, you've heard about you shall not murder and that you'll be subject to judgment. But if you are even angry with a brother or sister in your heart, then you have murdered. You've heard of you shall not commit adultery, but anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And you see this importance he places on it's not just about rules to be followed. The Pharisees knew about rules, but what they missed is what Jesus is focusing on here. It's a matter of the heart. This living testament of God, this law was always about correcting your heart to a loving God, not just giving you a set of rules that must be followed from A to B. This is what the Pharisees always missed and what Jesus was always so focusing on in his testament, in his preaching, is you have to have a heart right. What's the point of saying, thou shalt not murder if you hold hatred in your heart and you go around hating everybody in your life? What's the point of saying, I shall not commit adultery if your heart is so perverse that you look at every woman like they're meat? It's useless if you have all the laws, but yet you never change anything on the inside. And people see that today. They see Christians, they see people who have the laws, who have everything right on the outside, but yet don't have a right heart. It is all too easy for anyone in the world to notice someone who doesn't have a right heart, but is doing everything right on the outside. And you know, sometimes in that same nature, we see God as a God of law, who if you even go or stray for a second that he'll smite you down. I remember seeing the movie Bruce Almighty. If you've never seen Bruce Almighty, watch it. It is absolutely hilarious. And in that moment, Bruce is just having probably the worst day of his entire life. And he just looks up into heaven and says, you know what? God, smite me, almighty smiter. And that's right there. A lot of times what people see God as. He is the smiter. Oh, smite me, almighty smiter. I've messed up again. Now, now's the smiting. But that's never been who my God is. And it's never been what this living testament shows him as. You know, going all the way back to Exodus, the Israelites had just come and they were coming out of Egypt. And they were having actually a very similar question that I just posed. You see, they had been in Egypt and they had seen all of the wonderful things that God had done in order to go and come against Egypt, who was holding them as slaves. And now they had come out, they had seen God's wonders, and they had gone three days without water. And they were starting to wonder something very similar. You see, all they knew of this God is stories in the past and how they were introduced to him. And it says in Exodus chapter 3, this is how they were introduced to God. It says, tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the name by which they knew. I am. And so they started to ask themselves, is 
I am an angry God? Is I am the God who will judge us like he did with Egypt? Is he going to wait to smite us like he did with Egypt? And the answer to that is so amazing and so profound. It says in Exodus chapter 15, this is what God says to them in response. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commandments and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord who heals you. It is a wonderful name of God. They only knew him by one name, the I am. And here's God revealing to them a new name. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is not a God of judgment who sits on high waiting to smite those who comes against him. He is a loving God, a healing God. His first and foremost thought is always on how he can love, how he can heal, how he can lift up. And what do you think of God? Do you know him as a God who heals? Do you know him as your Jehovah Rapha? Or do you only know him like Bruce in Bruce Almighty? Smite me, almighty smiter. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you thought and just wanted to yell out to God, oh, smite me. Today couldn't possibly go any worse. But I tell you that God loves you. He wants to heal you. He wants to be with you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to be your Jehovah Rapha, and show you so many wonderful and amazing things. Abraham is the man we often refer to as the father of our faith. And in this particular story, we see him walking down a very lonely road, probably the most troubled that he's ever been in his entire life. He's on a road with his son to his right, walking up the side of a mountain, his mind's perplexed, his heart's beating out of his chest. Because what he has just been asked is to do the most difficult thing that he had ever been asked. God had asked him to give up his only son. This was his everything. This was his promise from God. His, God promised him that he would be the father of nations, and now he had been asked to give all that up. He loved God. He knew God wasn't a God that blessed you just in order to take it away, that gave to you just in order that it, he could laugh as he removes it. He had faith. He knew who his God was. And so you wonder what's going through his mind as he walks up this mountain. And so his son is holding the wood in his hands. I imagine he turned to his dad and he said, obviously turns to his dad and he says, well, I have this wood. I have the flint, a bunch of them, because I never was good at lighting these things, but we'll get it eventually. I brought all the flint. But where's the sacrifice? I mean, we're missing a part here. You have the wood, and you have the flint, and there's supposed to be a lamb here somewhere. And it says that Abraham turned to his son and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I wonder how hard those words were to say. He knew what God had asked him to do, but he knew even more than what God had asked him to do. He knew who his God was. He had faith that he knew the very nature of his God. So he went up to the top of the mountain, and as he was about to do everything that God had asked him, everything that he had told him to, God stops him and says, Stop. Don't do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God, for you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And it says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, that Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. That is another name for God. He is not just the God who heals. He is the God who provides. How many times has God provided for you? Do you remember those moments when you were walking on the lonely road? And you were maybe going up to your mountain. Maybe it was shame or debt or divorce or loss. And in that moment, you felt you had absolutely nothing. You were going to a place where you did not want to go. And you had nothing but your faith. That is when God is Jehovah Jireh. That is when God is the God who provides. When he is the God who looks after. He is provided time and time again. That is the story of the church when we get into situations that we can't handle, the situations where we don't know what to do, and you cry out to God, and he says, I am your Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides, and I will provide for you here. I remember I was having a particularly uh, difficult time at work, and there was just a situation that I thought couldn't be turned around. And in that moment, I just determined for myself that week, you know what? I'm just going to pray, and I'm just going to call God the Lord will provide. For you are my provider, God. You are my Lord. And all that week, I just said, you know what? No matter how hard it's going to get, no matter how difficult it's going to get, no matter how much my program is going to yell at me, because that's what they do, I'm just going to call God my provider. And he performed miracles in that. And a program that I thought I couldn't get out of, he moved in and changed and turned around the situation. In that week, he was my Jehovah Jireh. And I want to encourage you when you have those moments of pain, when you have those moments of hurt, when you don't think you can go on anymore, just pray and say, you know what? I know you're my provider. I know you provided for Abraham. And I know that you'll provide for me right now, for you are my Jehovah Jireh. In another aspect of Abraham's life, we see Hagar. And Hagar is a slave to Abraham's wife, Sarah. And she's running as fast as she can out into the desert. She was mistreated. She was hurt. And she just getting, is getting away from it all. She can't take it anymore. And she just starts to run. And when she can't go any farther, when her legs can't carry her anymore, she goes to a stream in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere, a small oasis. And there, an angel of the Lord finds her. And it says that the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the middle of a desert. And he called to her and said, Hagar, where have you come from? Where, where are you going? And she says, I can't do this. I can't take this anymore. I'm just running. I'm just running away. And so he looks to her with loving eyes and says, go back. You don't know the blessings that I have for you. He says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You're running away from your problems, but you don't know the blessings that I have for your future. You think you can't go any farther, but you don't know the grace that I have for you, for I will make you a mother of nations. He goes on to say that your children will be too numerous to count. You think that I gave this promise to Abraham only? I say that your children will be great, that your children will be numerous, that your children will be blessed beyond abundance. And so in Genesis chapter 16, 
it says she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. For she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I tell you right now that God sees you. In the desert you're in, in whatever hurts you're in, in whatever pain that you might be in, if you feel that you're running away, if you've been mistreated, if you've been hurt wrongly, if you've been treated like no one should ever be treated, God sees you. He saw Hagar, and he sees you wherever you may be at, whatever hurts you may be going through. He finds you in your desert, and this is what he has to say to you as it says in Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, plans to give you a future. Then you will call on me, El Roy, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. When I tell you that God sees you where you're at, God's blessing you where you're at, and he says, I don't care what the pain you may think of that you're going through. I don't care of how hard it may be. I see you, for I am the God that sees you. I am the God that knows what you're going through. I am the God that sees your pain, that sees your hurt, that sees something that you've never want anyone else to know about, and I'm telling you that there are blessings in your future that will not overcome you, that will not overtake you. You will be blessed, and I have declared it. And my God is a promise keeper. He has declared blessing upon you. He has declared healing upon you. He has declared life in you. And he will keep it. And then we see, as we go further and further into this living testament, this new name is revealed. It is a wonderful name. An amazing name. It is a name that has been kept secret since the creation of the world. Everything in from Genesis to Revelation, points to this name. It is what it's all about. And it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God sent Emmanuel. God sent himself, his only son, just like Abraham, in order to come to you, in order to save you, to say this, I am not just the God who heals you. I am also the God who provides for you, Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who sees you, El Roy. And I am the God who is with you, Emmanuel. Do you know that God is with you? That God is here for you? That he loves you so much that he gave his only son. For when Abraham went up on that mountain, that is what he is foretelling. Everything from Genesis to Malachi, right before Matthew, all points to this. It is a story of love, a story of hope, a story of life that all points to Emmanuel. That God is with you, that he is a loving God that he is a caring God, that he is a God who heals, a God who provides, and a God who sees, and a God who gave everything that he had, his only son, in order to come here to save a people who did not know him, who did not care for him, but his love for them was greater. And so he sent everything and gave up everything just so he could love you. 
And as you bow your heads this morning, maybe you're in this place, and maybe you want to know that, Emmanuel. Maybe you have never heard of a God that loves you. Maybe the only time you've ever heard of God is like the Israelites in the desert. You've heard of this pain, you've heard of hurt, and you thought, okay, that's who God was. But that's never been who God is. And I tell you right now that God loves you. He cares for you, and he is Emmanuel. And if you would accept him, he will be with you. And in order to do that, it's actually very easy. It's not anything weird or anything magic or anything superstitious. It's actually the same thing that Abraham did going up to the mountain. In that moment, he had faith, a faith that God would be with him. And it is faith alone that then draws us to God. It is faith in Jesus. And if you're within the sound of my voice, if you're watching this morning, I don't know where you may be, or maybe you're in this room, all you have to do is say, you know what? Jesus, I need you. You just say it in your heart. Just say, Jesus, please be with me. Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you gave everything for me and that you rose for me. All you have to do is just say those words in your heart, and he will be with you, and he will come to you, and he will comfort you. Did you receive the word this morning?